Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Hello and welcome to Home Education Matters and I'm very excited to be joined by Michelle Holmes today from the Homeschool Directive and we are going to be discussing the alternative routes to GCSEs that are open to British home educators. And sometimes we can feel that the only option are these very hoop jumping kind of exercises, GCSEs, A-levels, everything's quite restrictive, but there are alternatives and the alternatives are quite exciting. So I've got a lot of questions for you, Michelle. So (laughs) first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, business and what brought you into this sector. Oh, I would love to share my story with you. I am a veteran homeschool mom. I homeschooled all of my eight children all the way through secondary educational level, and they all went on to um, university. And I just graduated my last child in 2022. And so I'm very sad. I wasn't expecting to, like, I always used to say that when I I was going to get to retire in 2022 when my daughter graduated without a pension. (laughs) And so we got there and, um, and I would thought it was going to be so exciting, but it was so sad too, that after 32 years, my homeschooling journey kind of came to an end with her, but I do have adult children. I have 12 grandchildren and my grandchildren are all being homeschooled. And so homeschooling continues to live on in our home. I also, um, over the last 32 years, I started a local co-op that focused on high school level classes for, um, for our students here in the area. We averaged about 200 students a year. I ran that for over 20 years. I handed that off about two years ago when I decided to take all everything that I was doing locally and moved it into um into the online space. And so I've been helping homeschool parents for a very long time at that second education, second dairy educational level. And I've moved into, um, I moved into creating a umbrella school, which that's my business, which is homeschool directive. Homeschool directive is a non-traditional umbrella school. I help the homeschool parent who has children at that secondary educational level, take what they're doing in their home and convert that into a United States transcript and high school diploma. So that's my short story about the last 32 years and where I'm at today. I'm excited um, to be helping more people homeschool all the way through that second educational level. Okay, because the American system, that is quite that's quite a different system, isn't it, when you homeschool in America, because you, a lot of it is kind of accredited, and I think it's a little bit more formalized than in Britain. So what happened, since I homeschooled since my children, my children have always been in my home, they didn't go to a public or private school setting. Um, When you get to age um, 11 or 12, things start changing for us, and so we have to 
keep this record keeping system. It's called a high school transcript. So we can issue a diploma at the end. And so for, for me, I homeschooled child led and um, we really did things differently. We didn't necessarily do textbooks and each of my children, I like to say, each had their own educational experience. We didn't, I didn't do the same thing for every single child. I wish that was the case. It would have been easier, <laughs> but my children are all over the place in their learning styles and what their interests are. So I had to take what they were doing and put that into some type of language that is called a transcript, convert that with grades that so they could take that and use that to um, get into the universities. So you have a system where you have the high school diploma that you take at 18 and then that gets you basically into university with an SAT score as well. So would you say that your high school diploma maps against our GCSEs or does it map against our A-levels? It would map against your A-levels, but it's actually a combination because I think the misconception is what is the United States transcript and diploma. It looks different depending on where you're at in the United States. And the SAT is actually not a requirement. It's an option to take where it seems to be like in the UK, you, you have to do it this way or there's not a lot of flexibility, but you can actually go to the university here in the United States and never take the SAT. And so that's the difference. Like every school district does things different here. They require things different depending on where you live. And so if you were going to compare a United States transcript, I think the, the UK actually has a more conformed idea of like, it looks like the same for everyone. And, but a United States transcript just takes into consideration what part of the state that they, the country that they live in, what that um, certain area requires of that student. So for instance, in one school district, they might require driver's ed, driver's education. In another school district, they might not require that. They mm. do have this core level of classes that pretty much everyone has to take. And once you get past that core level, then it's what the school decides. Where with your A levels and your GCES levels, they're kind of like subject tests where you just you're taking these these tests and you're saying, OK, you know, all of this about music, you know, all of this about math. So what you can do is take what you're already doing in your home. I guess the easiest way to think about this is it's comparable in the sense that we're taking what you're doing in your home and converting that into the United States transcript, which is no different than what we already do here in the United States, because every homeschooler in the United States does things differently also. Okay, so because obviously America is so big, the states have different prerequisites for what goes in the high school diploma. As your umbrella school, you're already sort of amalgamating these different pre prerequisites, yeah? Not only is it the all the states, it's the areas within the state. Like for instance, I live in Northern Illinois. It takes six hours to get out of the state, right? So it's a huge state. It's not as big as Texas, which takes you like two days to get through. But even within the state, the districts could do things differently and require different things. So taking what we're 
doing individually and customizing it to a high school transcript is something that I've been doing for a very, very long time. So your company specializes in allowing homeschoolers in America to get the high school diploma. And you're now reaching out to UK home educators. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. And, you, and you're now saying, listen, you don't have to do the GCSEs and A-level route. You can do the high school diploma route. So do you want to talk our listeners through the advantages of doing the high school diploma route? Well, I think that the advantage is, is that homeschooling is about educational reform. It's about doing things different than the norm. And in your case in the UK, it's very structured into individual subjects. And the advantages of doing a United States um, comparable high school diploma and transcript is that you can approach education um, a little bit different where you can take one topic, let's say, photography, you can take the subject of photography and actually take that one topic and apply it to different educational branches and get a credit for that at the high school level. So it's more of a liberal arts. And I know that might be a new term for some people. Now we do have block study here in the United States where some people like they only study algebra, their math part for, you know, 32 weeks, or they might only study poetry for 32 weeks. So the concept of block studying and just concentrating on a subject is something that we can do here. But it seems like, and we homeschooled from child-led education, where it's kind of hard to take those block kind of study and then move that into the home, because we want to have more things organically done in the home. We want our kids' goals to be considered. We want their interests to be considered in their learning. And so that's the beautiful thing about using the United States um, high school transcript and stuff that it gets away from that individual subject and really focuses on the child's learning styles, um, what they're Let's say if they, I have a daughter that's very dyslexic, school looked different than my daughter who was reading when she was three. So I could really, really customize that education for her. I think that's what the UK is wanting to do. They want to, they really want to tap in to what their children's desires are. They want this freedom to explore things that their kids are interested on and not focus so much on school to take a test. I think that's really interesting because one thing as a mother of teenagers who I've always home educated, I found that the home education experience up to when they're about 11, 12 was such a joyous, free flowing, learning was everywhere. And then it suddenly got to the GCSE years or when you start preparing for them. And suddenly it felt like a hoop jumping exercise where, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like if you have broader interests, you've got to get this GCSE, you need to care about what the examiner thinks. And it felt very, very restrictive all of a sudden and quite anti-home end. Which is exactly what happens here in the United States. So those feelings that you're having or did have, it's the exact same thing that happens here, especially if you've been homeschooling since, because just like, oh, we can do this. Wait, I got to take this and put it into a document where you guys are like, oh, we got to do this. We have to do these A-levels. It's the same anxiety and it takes the joy out of homeschooling. And so that's, that's what I've been trying to do for the last, you know, 25 years with the locally and move into, into 
moving into the online space is that home education is about educational reform. That's how I started back in the back in the 80s, right? Like we were going to be doing education and really looking at the whole child. I want to look at their character. Their character is just as important to me as been their math score. You know, and I want to look at this whole child and move them forward and launch them into adulthood and be well balanced. And but there's this thing that happens to a homeschool parent that once your kids get to 12 and you're getting ready to move into the secondary education level, you're like, if I don't do this right, I'm going to mess them up for the rest of their lives. Right. That's the anxiety is the same in the United States as it is that's happening in the UK. And so I just want you to know, with being a little further down the road, having adult children that are now homeschooling their children, it is a huge undertaking. But once you learn a, a few tips and understand what you're trying to achieve, it is a beautiful thing. I am so glad that I hung in there and I homeschooled all the way through high school and that we did do this child-led education because I feel that my children and they do as adults appreciated the, the time that they got to spend during this adolescent years, getting to the, do the things that they love to focus on. My goal was not to fill their head with a bunch of knowledge to regurgitate on testing. It was to make them lifelong learners to love learning. And that was the ultimate goal. And by doing education that was more customized to what their interest was, it allowed for that. And they all have launched into adulthood with that skill of loving to learn. Okay. So that, I mean, I think that's what we all want as home educators. I mean, that's yes. our goal, isn't it? To, to have that freedom and flexibility. And, and those two things, they just disappear from us when they get into secondary age because of, of this need to take exams. So let me let me talk you through how I think the high school diploma works. And you can correct me on any misconception I have. So at the high school diploma, I'm going to go for it and you can correct me. It's taken over four years, 14 to 18, but it doesn't have to be four years. It can be shorter or longer, I'm guessing. Right. It sounds quite flexible in that way. It's 25 credits. And these credits can be in all sorts of different subjects. So if your child likes photography, it can be photography. If your child likes video editing, it could be video editing. If your child likes art, it can be art. And there can be a number of credits within each topic depending on how deeply they go into the subject am I is that okay you're nodding good okay I'm good. I'm, I'll say yes <laughs> okay okay and then and then you get a percentage you get a kind of 3.8 score or something like that some sort of percentage score that then the universities look at and they say oh look they've got like a high transcript score and look they took these they took these kind of subjects. So maybe the very academic ones, they're like, oh, look how much physics and maths they took. Off they go to Caltech or whatever. And then, oh, look, you know, they, they've done lots of like hands-on stuff. Maybe they're brilliant at engineering off to MIT or something. And, and so you have that um, flexibility of subject choice. So it's a little bit like the international baccalaureate, I think, in as much as you have a broader swathe of subjects that you cover. So how was that as, a, as an introduction? Was that, was that good? Did I get it right? Well, <laughs> I what think, do I score for that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was brilliant. I would just like to add, when we're approaching universities, either in the United States or in the UK, I think we get it backwards. We try to fit our kid into the university, forgetting that the university is providing us a service. So we should be matching our child up to the university. And what I mean by that is that 
universities all have a different agenda, their businesses, and they want a certain type of student. And so when we're creating a transcript, we can tailor that transcript or high school. The high school diploma is just means that you've completed everything and you've been issued the certificate, right? It's the transcript that they're looking at. Now, for instance, you mentioned 25 credits. Well, our umbrella school, the Homeschool um, Directive Academy actually requires 30 instead of 25. All the umbrella schools can do it differently. They're gonna require different things. Some umbrella schools might say, you have to do this, this, and this, and they have to be these courses. There's more restrictions. Homeschool Directives um, Academies point on that is that we allow freedom of curriculum choices. So what you're doing in your home might be different than what I would be doing in my home. But if we're looking at a bigger goal and we're trying to accomplish that, that's what we're looking at. Now, we're really trying to have a well-rounded education in our high school transcript by asking for 30 credits, but we also include like life skills and executive skills and stuff in that. And so the goal is when we're looking at the university that we're presenting this university, a picture of what this child has done in their home for the last four to five years and giving them a picture of this really quick, like university readers and people that are applying for universities, like they're going through applications really, really quickly. And they're trying to make a judgment call because here in the United States, it's not as formalized as there in the UK. And so they're going to be looking at things like what kind of classes that they did. Did they do any AP level classes? Because you can take A level classes um, at any age that the child is capable of doing that. And they're going to be looking at a grade point average. So they want to know if this child is what kind of work are they working at, which is kind of a foreign concept for homeschoolers, even here in the United States, to all of a sudden start issuing a grade. So it goes up to an A. Are you an A student? Are you a B student? And you're giving them a grade, which trips up homeschool parents because you're like, well, you know, I'm giving the grade. How, how does that justify what they're doing? I just want the audience to know every grade in the United States or whoever's issuing a grade is subject to what that teacher's is grading on. It's an expectation that has been made for that class. So you as a homeschool parent, you have a class that you're, you're orchestrating in your home. And if your children meet all of those expectations, I would count that as an A, as long as they're meeting all of your expectations. Have I always put A's on my kids' high school transcripts? No, because sometimes they didn't meet those expectations and my transcript doesn't lie. And it's a real, real reflection of what they were doing in the home. So for the universities, they're looking at that grade point average because they just want to know, like, if you took an AP class, like, and they got an A in an AP class, but let's say that they got a B in that class, it's just showing the university what kind of student this is. Is this student taking harder classes at, you know, the secondary level? So again, it's the universities are looking at that they need somehow to judge your student to see if they're ready for that type of learning. Now, their universities are all different. When I was looking through the UK before we decided to launch into this 
um, into, you know, into this market, I wanted to make sure that I understood, like, what are the universities actually looking for? And all the universities are just like the United States. They all ask different things. Now, of course, if you're wanting to go to a top tier university, they're going to ask for three AP levels. They're going to ask for a certain grade point average on your um, transcript. Um, but if you go to a different university, they might say, you know what, you can have um, you don't have to have any APs, but you might have to have an SAT. And so by looking at what the universities are wanting early on, we can customize that education to target that type of launching into adulthood. It could be a trade school. It could be specializing into something at the university level. So I'm not sure if I answered your question cohesively. <laughs> you did. So just, to, so just to clarify for our listeners, British universities accept high school diplomas and they accept students who have taken high school diplomas, even if they're British students who've taken high school diplomas. And actually, if you look at university websites, they have, when you go on to say Bournemouth University, they would say, okay, this is what we want from British students. We want um, five GCSEs, maths and English at a pass, and we want three A-levels. And then they'll also have a section on their website that says, okay, international students... Well, international requirements are high school diploma and SAT or high school diploma and three APs. Now, can British students apply through that route or is that only for students that are coming from an international setting? So anyone. So, you know, we just live in this wonderful day and age where students can go to any school you know, worldwide, right? We're a global community. So the question is, does UK accept the United States transcript? Yes, because there are students going there. They have seen it before. It's nothing new. They know how to read it. And even on your um, UCAS, there are a, an area for you to say that you have a United States transcript. Okay, so you could apply through UCAS and yes. put that you've got. Okay, yes. that's really interesting. And yeah, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you that came out from when you were talking, which I think some of our listeners will probably have noticed, is that you were mentioning that all grades come from basically a teacher sort of saying, okay, this is where this is where they're working at. Now in the UK, our grades for GCSE and A levels they come through the exam boards. So you sit an exam, and then the exam board issues a grade. And there's issues with grading on a curve and all that kind of thing that is very boring. I won't go into, but yeah. annoy me. But I get the impression of what you were saying that actually it's not anyone external to the homeschooling situation that issues the grade. So, for example, it isn't an exam board and it isn't a teacher. Is it the parent that issues the grade? Well, the parent is the teacher. We got to embrace that right? Like this is what happens at the high school level, all of a sudden, or secondary level, we feel all of a sudden we talk, took these children and, you know, even if your children came home later, you were still a part of their educational experience, helping them learn how to read, helping them like helping them tie their shoes and helping them be good citizens. And all of a sudden at the high school level, we're like, wait, we get to make this decision on what they're doing. And the answer is yes, you are the teacher, you are teaching them, you are making evaluations, you're just your curriculum, your choices based on what you're hoping to accomplish in your home. What we do here at Homeschool Directive is that we help you take your goals, your student goals, um, your academy goals, and create a course that maybe isn't a box that you're buying and you're checking off, okay, we did this, you know, we're studying for this test, 
what does this look like for us? So yes, you as a teacher get to issue that grade because you're the best person to issue that grade. You know that student, you know if they're working, meeting their expectations or not. And that is empowering and that's true educational reform. Like we want the parent to feel empowered that they get to make these decisions. They have been making these decisions and all of a sudden something magical happens at the high school level. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? <laughs> that is so true. And during during coronavirus, my son had to have a couple of certified grades because he was due to be doing his GCSEs. And I'm actually a trained teacher. And I've obviously, he self-studied, but I was there with him all the way through. And none of the exam centers would accept my grades, not one. I was completely locked out of the process. And even though I'd been there the whole way and I would never have embellished the grade for me, I mean, what that would teach him terrible lessons itself. And so I, I felt completely excluded from the whole process, even though I was there you know, through his whole journey, it was very frustrating for me. So with your system, the parent is much more center stage. The parent is center stage because we're facilitating everything. We're making the educational choices. The beautiful thing about how we're doing it here at Homeschool Directive is that we allow the child to be a part of that conversation, right? And they're not excluded. I mean, even here in the United States, this can happen where all of a sudden we get to the secondary educational level and all of a sudden, these things become more important, you know, a foreign language, uh, getting through calculus, getting through these things, and we kind of lose focus of the bigger picture here is that we're taking this human being and we're educating them not just to pass a test, we're educating them to launch into adulthood with executive skills, life skills, um, being able to pivot as an adult is really important to me. I'm sure it is to you that they can get into a situation, evaluate it, move on from it, and so on. And so what better person to make an evaluation than the parent? And it's so sad to me to hear that, you know, you're kind of locked out as a parent and that you know this kid better than anybody you're the best person to be making these choices. Now, do sometimes do we need encouragement to, um, as homeschool parents to see that, like, are we being truthful in our assessments? Truthfully, over all the years that I've been homeschooling, homeschool parents are hard on their kids, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> exactly. we're so, we are so worried about not launching them well into adulthood that we're like, I've homeschooled some parents when their teens started kind of giving them some issues. And we sat down and I have a couple of tools and we evaluated that they were expecting them to do like 30 hours worth of work in a day. And I'm like, nobody can, nobody can survive that. And so some expectations needed to be lowered because there was way too many things being asked of the kid at 14. And once we, once this family realized it, they're like, oh, we didn't, you know, oh, sleep. These kids have to sleep sometime. And so um, homeschool parents are usually, you know, so concerned that they're sometimes pushing their kids a little bit too hard. <laughs> it's usually the experience I've, I've come across. One thing that I, when I heard about the homeschool diploma route was one thing I loved about it was how inclusive it is. So the UK system I talk about it locks out parents, but it actually locks out children, ironically, even though they're having to sit the exams, they're very locked out from their learning. And one thing I really liked about that, the high school diploma route is that 
it allows for children of all sorts of different interests and all sorts of different needs to actually have their approaches valued. So for example, if if your child has additional needs or if your child isn't particularly academic, but is very hands-on, or if your child is brilliant with people, for example, but maybe not great at maths, it, it actually allows them to feel honored in a way that I think the British system doesn't. It's the beautiful thing about home education is that the child is is being looked at and, and really encouraged to be self-confident. Like above all of the credits that we require, if we launch an adult child, you know, one of our children into adulthood and they're not confident, it doesn't matter if they're brilliant and they can, you know, read at the university level and figure out these equations and stuff. If they are lacking self-confidence, we have missed the boat in the opportunity. We only get these children for such a short amount of time. And I think that's that's what kind of concerns me about the homeschool movement for the last 15 years is that there's this push to create these children that are super, super intelligent and kind of missing the boat that, you know, they only have this delicate time between 12 and 18 to walk outside and look at trees and adulthood is hard. Like you start going to university and you start taking on jobs and life changes when you get older. What a beautiful opportunity that we get to do with our children now during this teenage years. And like I said, I have eight children. I've homeschooled them all the way through high school and they all did it differently. I have children that are brilliant Formal education came very, very easy. They knew how to memorize really well and they could gurgitate out tests and do extremely well. I have a daughter that's severely dyslexic. Her high school experience, now she's at the university and she's severely dyslexic. But this girl, she's such a hard worker. Like out of all my kids, the one that's severely dyslexic is my best student because she knows everything takes her twice as long than her friends, but she's diligent. We worked on her self-confidence. We worked on her navigating her disability at the university level. And, uh, you know, she is a, she's a sophomore. She's just received like three certificates at the university level. And she goes there, she advocates for herself. Mommy doesn't come there and advocate for her. She knows how to navigate. She knows how to get the services that she needs. This child, has such, she's almost profoundly, she was like two points from um, profoundly dyslexic and she can navigate. And I, I know that's because she was given the opportunity during her high school years to do education differently. Now I have two children that have um, degrees in English and creative writing. So when they were 13 years old, they were writing stories and language arts was so easy. They could read literature, you know, living books. We could do all these things, but this child couldn't read a book. So what was I going to do with her? I still wanted her exposed to these things. So it was just like coming up with tools to help her. She listened to audiobooks. We put certain things on her computer so she could read anything. The computer could read anything. She uses dyslexia text of fonts. So she types everything and that font converts it over to turn into her papers um, at the university level into a normal font for other people to read. So 
she survived, but that's because we got to customize and we got to work on her weaknesses because she's brilliant in, in other areas. So that was the beautiful thing is that I could really, really customize and work on her self-confidence and say, you can do anything that you want. You might, this child might have to work a little harder, but that's okay. This is your skills. Like I tell my kids, nobody else is paying your bills as adults. You have to figure out what you could do best. And you have to work on your weaknesses and we'll strengthen your things that come easy to you and make them excel but we still need to work on these things. And so that's the beautiful thing about home education is that we get this opportunity to help them. If we're not so focused on, if we have the opportunity to have a little bit more freedom in our home and we're not just forcing like this child in the UK system wouldn't even have been able to sit for testing unless they could read it. If they could have read the whole test to her, you know, and got certain provisions, I know here in the United States, we had to jump through a lot of hoops to get certain provisions at the university level. Um, that took us you know, a little bit of time to do. It was worth it. But to answer that question, having the opportunity to customize your child's education is what home education is about and should always remain. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you to like and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to join our Home Education Matters Facebook group, where you can find details on all our podcasts, any links or resources mentioned, chat to our guests, request upcoming podcasts, and even come on the podcast yourself. Do join us over there. That ability that you have as a company to allow home educators in the UK to customise the high school diploma or the credits within the high school diploma around the child's interests. Are there any subjects that are obligatory in within those 30 credits that you sort of want people to get? Do they have to do maths and English, for example, because in the UK system, you have to do maths and English GCs. We don't have to, but it's very difficult to proceed anywhere if you don't have maths and English at a basic level. Do you, is it the same thing? Do they have to do a certain number of credits in maths, certain they number do. of credits in English? They do. Mm-hmm. They have to have four. It's like four, 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 like it's four English, four science, four social science and so on. So we have electives. The goal with those though, is that depending on where your child is. So for instance, math, my son, one son was doing pre-calc by the time he was 11 years old. Math came very, very easy for him. You know, by the time he got to secondary education, he's doing, you know, he's doing advanced level math at the college level, but I just put it on his high school transcript as high school level. But then my, I, now I have another daughter that has math dyslexia And it took her two years to get through one block study of what we call algebra one. And it took her two years to do that. So all my children's credits in math look different depending on them. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, I've got one more question. And then after that, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to give you some sort of scenarios of of hypothetical children, because I think that that's always helpful. But my final question before we launch into that is, what about providing evidence or assessments or anything like that? Is You mentioned that the parent sort of says, okay, this is what they've done and this is the grade they're working at. What evidence do they have to provide and are there any assessments that we would think of as exams? Now, for our academy, there is no like a formalized assessment, but we do ask that if you're not using an organized curriculum, that we have a conversation and we have 
we have a special method of being able to calculate a credit. So I'll just give you a brief understanding of how a credit can be earned, that sometimes homeschool parents that are getting away from test taking can incorporate into your home, okay? And so I actually teach people four ways of being able to analyze the work that their children are doing. Remember, we're the teacher, we're making, we're setting out um, a desire for something to be learned. We ask that you come up with an expectation. Now, we base things on either time, so it can be a time commitment, a credit, is based on about 120 hours worth of work. And that means reading, homework, spent time spent in class. That's a typical number of hours that a student is in a class at school for the time period, right? When they go to school, if you were to figure out how many hours they were sit in one class, it might come out to be a little bit higher, but you have to think, okay, what about classroom management? What about discipline in the classroom? So like, let's take all that out. It's a little bit of less time. So let's say that your student is a musician and they're learning to play the guitar. They're going and meeting with an instructor and they're playing at church and a worship kind of service. And you can kind of just take account of everything that they're doing and put that together and kind of just keep track of hours. That's what I've done like for choir and different things like that. So that credit could be done over one year or two years or two weeks. So like it just really depends on how much time that they're spending on a subject. Another way that they can do that is if you, the parent, decide that it is a mastery and you say, okay, this credit looks like this if they've mastered these things. So let me give you an example of that. Let's say that for my older kids, it was called typing. For my younger kids, because I have a huge age span, it was called computer science. <laughs> That's all I've been homeschooling. <laughs> so let's say it's computer science now. I give them a list of things that I want them to accomplish. I want them to type 45 words a minute at 95% accuracy. They have to do a PowerPoint presentation, so on. And I give them this list and I want them to master these type of skills. Once they get them, I issue them a credit. The mm, next, the next way that we can earn a credit is if they are, I just want them to be exposed to a topic. That's my goal. I don't, I just want them to be aware that it is out there. So it's exposure. So let's say it's Shakespeare. I'm going to give them a credit and an elective in Shakespeare. And I put together, okay, I want them to attend these three Shakespeare festivals. I want them to um, read these plays. I want them to watch Much to Do, Much to Do Nothing. Well, I want them to watch some Netflix shows on, <laughs> on Shakespeare plays, and I'm just exposing them. So I make this list of things that I want them to do, and I'm not really worried about mastery or time, but I want them to just be exposed to this topic. And then the fourth way is kind of taking all three of those and combining them together. So let's say that it's a Spanish, your student is learning Spanish, they might be taking an online class, um, so you want them to take the online class, that would be the time. You want them to be exposed to different things. They might go to a play and that is all in Spanish, watch movies in Spanish, read books in Spanish. And then you might say, okay, I want them to be able to read me 500 flashcards in Spanish. So I want some type of mastery done. So those are the four different ways that, that we here at Homeschool Directive 
we always considered a box curriculum as mastery because they usually have tests and different things like that. So it's just opening up ourselves, kind of de-schooling ourselves about the way that we did it as kids and kind of looking at it more holistically and taking what our kids are doing and, and turning what they're doing into, um, into this credit high school diploma type of method. That's really fascinating. And actually that, that leads me really nicely on to, to my next few questions, which are based on some hypothetical British children. Okay. So, because obviously most of our listeners are UK home educators. And so they will be thinking, okay, so how can I apply this to my child? So I'm going to take a number of different scenarios of, of sort of classic home educated children. So the first one is Betty. Betty is 16 and she has done her GCSEs and she did very, very well. She got 10 very high grades and she would now like to switch tracks. She would like to get a high school diploma, sit a few APs instead of A-levels and go to a really good university like maybe Oxford, Cambridge. She's going to do five APs, whatever she needs to get into Oxford, Cambridge. Now, can she backdate almost her her work that she's done today so say she has these 10 GCSEs very high grades and she's done all sorts of other stuff she's done languages she's done you know I don't know martial arts she's she's done all sorts of other skills that obviously in the British system you can't quantify into exams unfortunately Mm -hmm. so how would she then through your company get her high school diploma okay so what we do we start with a credit review I asked the parent to list everything down that they have completed, that the parent feels that their child was doing at the secondary educational level, write that down as completed work, and then things that they are currently working on. So in this case, if they've already passed tests, we would take those and convert them into into the math requirement, into the science requirements, depending on what APs that they were taking or whatever, a level testing that they have done, but we take what they're already accomplished and then we have a conversation with you. So you as the parent, in this case, Betty, let's say Betty was your child, you mentioned um, martial arts. And so we require a physical education as a graduation requirement. So we would say, okay, tell me a little bit more about this martial arts class. Oh, they're a black belt already. And so let's give them two credits in physical education for that because to get to a black belt that's not an easy task right but you might say well it actually took her this amount of time to earn that and so i need a little bit more information right you know the parent knows the information no betty was doing this since she was little and she she accelerated into this upper black belt then we would be like okay well it sounds that she has put in the hard work. Maybe she teaches in the teaches black belt also. So let's convert that and make it before full credit. She's already 16. She's already put a lot of work in. That's different than somebody that's 14. So we're looking at her individually and we're like, okay, you want to go to Oxford. We go to Oxford University website. Everybody has this access. And we say, Are, is Oxford the right college for you? Now, remember, everybody applying to Oxford should probably be able to go to Oxford. I think that this is a misconception, is that there, even here in the United States, let's take um, Cornell. Cornell is like an A-level, top tier university, just like Cambridge and Oxford. 70,000 students applied to that school. 
Oxford has those type of numbers also. You know, over 50,000 students are applying, but they only accept like 4,000. So the conversation with her is, okay, Oxford, is that the best place for you? What are you thinking? Like, why do you want to go there? I think there has to be a lot of conversations about why this school? Is, is that a conversation that your company would have with Betty, for example, and the mother? And the mother, yeah, because we want, when she leaves, we want to put the best things on a transcript. What I do is I teach parents to keep track of everything that they're doing. And so my kids had more than 30 credits, but we only put the best things designed to where they were applying. Because when I teach people my method, they have more credits than they know what to do with, but that's okay because it's a reflection of what they're doing. So we, we keep track of everything. And so in Betty's case, she wants to go to a top tier university. We would have conversations about you're going to you're going to have to do an ACT test. It's a requirement and get prepared What's for an the ACT test, um, ACT and SAT. It's a way for the colleges. I think I think it's important for the all homeschool parents to know this. The reason why, why are these schools asking for these tests? That should be our first question. Like, why does Oxford require these things? You know, why does these universities in the United States ask for these tests? They have 70,000 students applying for 4,000 spots. They get to be really picky. But the problem is that everybody approaches education differently. And so, even here in the United States, they have to have some way to level the playing field. And so that's where the APs come into play at a top tier school. Um, SAT comes into play at the top tier school. They want to make sure that they have an easy, an easy way to make an, a judgment call on your student. That's okay, so the reason for those upper level testing. And Betty's case, that's why those tests become important because she's wanting to go to a top tier school. Now you can have, which is really interesting, my our girls that just went, she got into Cornell and she did AP, but she never sat for the test and she got in. And people that had 10 APs didn't get in, right? Because it was she, ever, all the stuff on the transcript and all the other things. It was, yeah. she, she did a child-led education and her transcript was amazing. Like we set our, our kids to like, oh, if you do A, B, and C, you're going to get there. Not, not understanding that there's 70,000 other students that deserve to be there. But we need to present, we need to present Betty here in the best possible light so Cambridge can see that she's unique, that she can think yeah. outside the box, that she's everybody can study for a test and pass a test. Right? We can produce those type of students, but can we produce students that can think outside the box? And so that's what mm -hmm. we would do with Betty. So for Betty with her 10 GCSEs, would they would would one GCSE equate to a certain number of credits? Or is it more complicated than that, more nuanced than that? It depends on which one, right? Like, so we just have to take what their testing, their tests are, but know that if they're testing at the level that Betty is, it's going to accomplish a lot of things on the high school transcript, right? Okay. So it depends so, on which test yeah. it was and what score it was. And then there's a conversation with the parent because some kids don't test well. Now, in Betty's case, she tests really well. So we'll save that conversation to the next student, <laughs> because what happens if you have a brilliant child that doesn't test well? 
that's my next scenario. Okay. So, but before I move on to my second child, <laughs> I would like to ask you about the SATs. So what is an SAT and should British students who perhaps want to go on to universities, should they be taking SAT or, or in actual fact, perhaps, perhaps even just college or work, should they be taking an SAT and what is an SAT? Okay. We don't say should, we say maybe okay. they could. <laughs> because it depends on the child and what that child is wanting to accomplish. Testing is to accomplish a certain goal, right? A test result is for a certain reason. Is it, right? I know you perhaps don't know so much about the British system, but is it basically equivalent to a kind of GCSE level mass English or is it more like a functional skills? Is it quite basic mass English is what I'm asking. Test taking is a skill. And so could somebody, in Betsy's case, you probably would do really, really well on the mm -hmm. SAT, ACT. So for her, there's no extra work for her yeah. because she's because a good she's... test taker, right? Yeah. So why not go and take this test if your child is a really good test taker? There's, you know, sometimes in the homeschool, I know we're trying to get away from testing, but testing is not bad if we keep it in the context that it's meant to be, not that it's a must, like, cause you had used the word should, I don't know, should they? It depends on if it's the best interest for them, then they should. In Betsy's yeah. case, why not? It's not gonna cost her extra hours studying it. In another kid's um, circumstance, let's have that conversation. Then that's a different okay, conversation. So in that case, let's move on to Betty's younger brother, James. James is 14, so he's a good age to start the high school diploma, but he is, maybe he's dyslexic, for an example, or got ADHD or something like that, doesn't test well, has a huge variety of interests, but none of them are very easy to quantify. So maybe he's fabulous with people, maybe he does lots on social media, maybe he's very good at tech, but maybe mass English, those kind of very academic subjects, aren't really for him but that's okay because he doesn't want to go to university he maybe wants to I don't know sort of become a, a like a young person's counselor or something like that something that that is maybe less academic but much more people related or or sort of a, maybe he wants to become a software designer or a, you know I don't know a YouTuber or something one one of these wonderful modern jobs that people get so what about James what would his route be through the homeschool directive okay so you mentioned that he had really good people skill right? So for, for James, and at 14, to have good people skills is amazing, right? Like, let's, let's just say that a 14-year-old boy that has good people skills is an amazing skill. It's like a zebra with no stripes. <laughs> right, right. right? <laughs> so for James, the conversation is, especially since he, he has this, he has dyslexia. And I actually had my son, my son, who is adult he's married with children he didn't read until he was 12. so what do we do when we get he's 12 and he just started reading at 12 because he has some form of dyslexia he has wonderful people skills so this james is my son and so what we did during his um secondary education was working on skills to help him launch into the university he went to university um, we worked on mind mapping. He couldn't take notes. So we kind of talked about these different skills. He could sit in a lecture. He could mind map it out. Notes don't have to be written down a certain way. So we kind of was trying to assess him 
had um, dysgraphia. So we switched him all to capital writing, which was amazing. So anybody out there, just kids struggling with dysgraphia, switched them over. All business professionals, architects, engineers writing caps. So we kind of started working on these skills and self-confidence. Like, okay, he's got these great people skills. He, um, his math looks a little differently. He, he has to do math a little bit slower, but we require four credits. But his math, like we have structure, right? We have these graduation requirements, but they're flexible to reflect the child. He didn't, he still had to do math for four years. He just did it differently for him. We want James to be just as successful as Betty. It's just gonna look different for him. Different, and, different and, credits, different yeah. style of so, transcript. Yeah. So let's say that James was, you mentioned into YouTube or something. Let's say that James, mm. let's say that he's into esports. Mm -hmm. Esports is huge, right? Mm. Esports is a billion dollar industry. And parents are complaining about their kids doing being on games all the time. And you're <laughs> we should like, be encouraging it, right? They, to get our retirement is, homes ready. Exactly. It's a billion dollar industry. Let's look at that industry. Like why there are lawyers for the esports industry. You have physical therapists now, physical therapists for esports. So the necks. Yeah, their necks in their hands. It's crazy. And then what about they need agents? They need graphic designers. So if your kid is in esports and you're like, I, I'm they're struggling. Well, how about if you tailored their high school experience around that? Maybe their math is in, maybe their math is in um, business math. And maybe they're reading about um, people that biographies. I just did a whole course description for somebody. This is why it's on top of my head about how, helping them turn what this esports into an educational plan. They can write papers about the esports industry. They could do research papers. Like if we really start thinking about what's on these GCES levels and the A levels, we can take that, move it into the home and achieve the same thing. It's just that the kid that's doing esports is gonna be a lot more happier writing a research paper on esports than they are you know medieval times so actually right? that could be multiple credits right so he, oh, if they yes. approach esports yeah that's lovely yeah. I, and that's that's my favorite way to homeschool is to integrate more than one subject around one topic it's a beautiful way to be able and what you're doing by doing that is teaching them that every educational branch is just as important but the conversation is um how do you start working in that field. What kind of skill sets do you have to do? Maybe he wants to be an entrepreneur. So we focus more on entrepreneur skills. We talk about the science behind whatever he's working on too. Like we just kind of take all of that together. That kind of kind of project-based learning, unit learning is, is so, is something that home educators so often do pretty much all the way up to when it's then GCSEs and then, then forced to compartmentalize all these things that naturally uh, sort of mesh together. So I've got my third child okay. who is the young, he is 10 years old and he is James and Betty's cousin and he's called Innes and Innes, Innes's mother is very anxious. Now she would really like Innes to get a high school diploma, but she's very anxious about it. Innes does not want to go to university, He, but he does want to go to his local college and just do an animal care course because he wants to go into the family business, which is uh, like a petting zoo. 
an alpaca petting zoo. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ines's mother is is very nervous about how to do the high school diploma, and she wants a lot of hand holding. She wants to sort of know exactly like what she should be doing, when she should be doing it. Now, how can the homeschool directive, your company, kind of help her with that level of anxiety when she's maybe not used to sort of uh, reacting to her child in that kind of formalized way? Well, I think it's really important that we have a conversation with this mom, even because he's a cousin, right? But even James, who's 14, kids can change their minds. <laughs> like none of my children at 10 are doing what they are said they were going to do. So true. yeah. Right. And so we kind of can get caught up in this, like, oh, they want to do this and we have to make it perfect for their educational plan. Perfect for them. What, again, our goal is to make them lifelong learners, and we want to launch them the best version of them and give them options, because this 10-year-old might decide that he wants to go to university later, right? There's a lot of learning that changing that can happen for him at 10, between 10 and 15. If this is her first and her oldest, I think sometimes parents, like when 10 is your oldest, you think that's old? until they get 16 and you're like oh 10 yeah. was little they right? were babies they were babies and sometimes it's taking that anxious homeschool mom and saying it's okay he is 10 let's not squash his love for learning let's encourage learning continually and setting him up to be able to do whatever he wants in when he gets to be older. And so that's what I would be doing with this mom, this anxious mom, is to say, okay, let's take what you're already doing in the home and really focus on what his next steps are. And if he's gonna be going into science, he's gonna need to know, he's gonna have to have the upper level maths. He's gonna have to have, even if he's gonna stay home, like mm -hmm. we want him to be the best employee for the family business. We want him to be able to think outside the box. We want him to have great people skills. So even though he's planning on being home, we still want to produce this adult that can run the family business and take the family business maybe to the next level, maybe from a six figure company to seven figure company. <laughs> this is what I'm hearing very much about, about this approach is it's not about, I want to get this grade in this exam so that I can go to this university or whatever. It's about this, this sense of you're, you're wanting to, to have a child that you launch into the world with all the skills that they need. So it's, it seems much less restrictive than our current British approach. That's the goal. That is the that homeschool directives goal. And that's the way that we approach education. Not all umbrella schools, they want, like it is, you'll, we'll see some of that still going on here in the United States and other umbrella schools. But here at homeschool directive, that's our goal. When children, uh, maybe let's go back to Betty. So Betty's, Betty's come to you and she has then got her, she's got her high, home, her high school I struggle with this one. She's got her high school <laughs> diploma. She's got her some APs. She's done the SAT. When she applies to university, does she write high school diploma 3.8 and then homeschool directive? Is that or do you not have to say who the umbrella school is when you're applying to universities? Um, if you're going to be turning, you're going to be issuing a transcript. And since we're issuing the transcript, it will have our name. on It, it. will come from you. Right. OK. But she was a you, you as a UK parent can do your own transcripts too. Like anybody can do this. We're just here to um, 
we're here to help you and not take as much time so you can focus on your kids. Because I know for me, when I, even though I'm here in the United States, when I with my oldest, trying to understand this and homeschooling the way that I wanted to homeschool, it was kind of not, it's kind of non-traditional, even from other homeschoolers. So what I've learned that it didn't make a difference if I was an unschooler, if I was just Charlotte Mason, if I did classical, we still had to learn some type of formula to gather information to put it down on a piece of paper. So that's how I know you can do this on your own. People, please hear me. You can do this on your own. I'm just here to help you take the knowledge that I've had from the last 30 years and take that special way that you're homeschooling. I probably have seen it before and how we can do that quickly. So it's it's just part of what you're doing. I consider homeschooling a lifestyle. Like we we sometimes we sit down and do formalized books and sometimes we're on field trips and sometimes you're working the family business. We have, we're entrepreneurs. So we have a couple of family businesses. And so white homeschooling is a lifestyle. And when you get your mind around that, I want that homeschool parent to continue doing that in their home and not get so caught up on transcripts and stuff. That's what I'm here to help you. I'm helping you to take all this information in your head <laughs> come up with a system and have conversations. So that's that's the beauty of Homeschool Directive. We just have all these years of experience. Um, all the academic advisors have all graduated high school students, which I think is important that yeah. our, our advisors have all done, you know, walk the talk, right? <laughs> like they've all graduated <laughs> um, at least one or more students from this way of homeschooling. That's fabulous. That's, I mean, that's really helpful. And I'm sensing that there'll be people listening to this who will have a number of questions that are coming up. So I'm going to try to preempt what they might, what they might be. And the first one I think that might come up is somebody may say, well, if a parent can issue a transcript for a high school diploma, or if, you know, a homeschool directive issue a transcript, it feels loose and informal to the British market, you know, because we are so used to these very rigid exams. So I wonder if there's people listening who may say, well, when you're applying to these universities, surely they will look and they will say, okay, well, this student got 10 GCSEs from a school. This student got a high school diploma from a, from a bricks and mortar school. And this student got a high school diploma from some place called homeschool directive. Oh, that's not going to be worth the paper it's written on. And then they they eject them from the admissions process. I think that's what some of my listeners, because we're so, we're so tightly focused on the approach that we've always done in this country. So what would your response to that be? Well, first of all, there is an organization, N-A-R-I-C. N-A-R-I-C. So, so this is the first time that I'm talking about it out loud. So I might have to say it a couple of different times. So, <laughs> sure. so we're in the process of, okay. So that you're asking the difference in diplomas. Yeah, like, Again, is there a quality kind of thing? Is there an inherent quality issue? So to answer your question about that, what we're trying to achieve here with Homeschool Directive is that I do know in the UK that you're having a little bit hard time issuing your own transcripts and that they're not rec being recognized. But since we're a school, 
we can submit our transcripts to the NARIC and they can evaluate it. That's their job. Their job is to evaluate their part. Um, they're through the federal government and they'll, they can assess our diploma and give you um, some scores based on that diploma. And so I, from what I'm hearing right now, we can only talk about right now that they're not allowing homeschoolers to submit documents to them, but us as a school, that's their job. They take, they take diplomas through throughout the whole world because people, there are, there are students that are attending UK universities that do education different than the UK. So you have people from China, you have people globally, you have people from the United States coming to the UK. So they're used to other students coming there. And so this organization helps them give an evaluation of a diploma. So we can participate in that because we're a school. So you can, in effect, when you're applying to these universities, sort of say this is an NARIC recognized diploma or something like that. Yes. Oh, that's, that's yes. very reassuring. The next thing that I think perhaps people may may sort of wonder about in the UK is, will any of this be recognised? You know, because obviously an American coming in with a high school diploma, sure, okay, they're American, they're going to have a high school diploma. But if you're, you know, if you're born and brought up in Bromley in Kent, and you've got a high school diploma and an SAT, and you apply to your maybe even just a post-16 college and you just want to do health and social care. You don't really need to because you've got your high school diploma, but you but you want to because it gets you maybe an apprenticeship job afterwards. This local college in Kent may look at your CV and say, why have you got a high school diploma when you're born and brought up in London? You know, what's good? Is this because you thought it was easier? Is this because you self-transcribed? Uh, is there going to be a suspicion there that, that uh, you know, why have you done this if you're British? Well, that's the question, right? This student will probably have to answer this question. Let's just say, let's, this is the same question that my kids got when they were younger. Like it's normalized here. My daughter was one of the first 15 years old. She can't even drive herself there, but she had to go and talk to the, the department heads. She, my 13 year old had to go and answer the questions. Why should she be there? And she could answer them and they accepted her. So let's yeah. let's not be so afraid of questions as long as we have the answers. Let's think this through. We're developing kids that can answer questions. They're not gonna, they're gonna look, have eye contact. They're going to be confident. And they can say, my parents chose that they wanted a more liberal arts education for me. Universities are used to kids coming in from different scenarios. You just said like one person lives here, maybe in a really affluent neighborhood and another student doesn't and they live in a more lower economic neighborhood. They're used to seeing people come from all different walks. What the diploma does is just kind of gives them this picture but you still have to sell yourself to that university. So in this case, the student wants to go to this more local college. I can almost guarantee you that if they go into that university and are well confident, and if they don't have five AP requirements, and they they might, they'll say, so because I've looked at a lot of universities, it'll say, if you have a diploma, you have to have this grade point average and you have to have these things, you're gonna do that. 
and you're going to present yourself in the best possible light, but you want that school to see that you're not just their requirements, you're more than their requirements, and that they are actually in it is more of a privilege for them to accept you there as a student. That's the kind of attitude I want my kids to go in. Like, I'm going to bring value to your school and here's why. I think it's so right. And I think that's one thing in the UK that we really struggle with is owning the homeschooling journey. What tends to happen is we're so proud to home educate. We believe in the values of it. We, you know, we're totally bought into it. And then we're forced through this system of GCSEs and A-levels. It's almost like we have to buy into that in order to say, okay, yes, we've homeschooled all the way through, but look, we've got the same kind of qualifications as schooled children. But actually what you're saying is it's about going into the college and university and saying, the reason I've got these qualifications is because they resonate with the values of home education. They allowed me the broad scope of subjects. They allowed me the freedom and the flexibility to, to sort of pursue my interests. And so they reflect my journey and this is my journey and kind of owning your journey as such. Exactly. 100%. I want homeschool parents when they get to the other side, that they feel like, hey, I did the best that I could with the information that I had at hand. I was crazy to think I could take this education on in my home, but, you know, even if my kids have gaps and I didn't feel all their heads with that certain kind of information, they know how to get it when they leave my home. And I had to rest myself. I had to do a lot of soul searching to get there. I'm like, I just have confidence because I've gotten further down the road. So I understand that anxiety and I understand that worry that we're going to mess up our children because we're deciding to do education different than everybody else around us. Even maybe your sister, like even maybe in your family, you're doing educational difference. So I'm sold. And I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are sold. So the next question that they're going to have is, this all sounds wonderful, but how much does it cost? <laughs> <laughs> how much does it cost? So currently our price structure is $500 for the family, and that's all inclusive. So if you're comparing other umbrella schools, it's important to know that you might see a cheaper price, but then you pay for other services. So ours includes a credit review. Ours includes the tools that we offer and training and all of that's included. And then there's a $50 student fee, administrative student fee. It's, so it's $500 and $50 per, per extra student within right. the family. So. And the U.S. dollar. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's about the price of two GCSEs. So that's pretty good. (laughs) Okay. And if you join now, you're locked in that for the whole time that you're in our program. So our pricing, since we're new, will be going up. But if you're joined now, you'll have that fixed price the whole time that you're so, so say that you have three kids, you would have that fixed price the whole time. And if we go back to Betty then, now Betty was 16 and she want, so she's not going to want to do the full four years. So would she just pay $500 for like two years or something like that and then work it that way? So this is an important question. I get this a lot. Since this is kind of a new concept and it's kind of taking off in the UK, we're accepting 16-year-olds who have this history of home education already. I can't guarantee that in the future if we might have to have like, oh, you have to get like 50% of your credits through us. But mm-hmm. right now, because it's new, we want to help Betty. Like, like that's our goal is to be able to help Betty. And Betty's actually a lot of work because we got to take everything that she's done and analyze that. 
and plop it in into her transcript in the, the right places. So to answer your question, Betty can join. She can join and we can help her get, even though she only has two years left, we can help her get everything in settled and get her into this different direction of moving into a high school diploma. Currently right now, we're accepting students like Betty. So would she be with us one year? It could be $550. Would she be with us two years? That might be 1100. So again, I can't give you a set price, but I can tell you that when you come in to homeschool directive, we will have this conversation. And at the end of it, if you don't feel comfortable with it, you just can't get a refund. It depends okay. on, again, we have to look at your child individually and what you're as a parent are hoping to accomplish. And so if we were to go back to the example of Innes, his mother could actually come to you and say, do you know what he wants to go into animal care? Could you help me with a curriculum that, you know, that sort of like gets these credits that he wants? And that's also a service that you offer. Yes, that's also a service that we offer. And so just to going back down to his age, he's 10. We do allow it's middle school. So like 11 and up can join homeschool directive. That's fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Can you tell us, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, uh, whether you have a website, Facebook group, Facebook page, yeah, Instagram, Twitter? I'm trying uh, to think of all the other social media, TikTok. <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the social media things, but tell us I, where we can find you. Wow. The easiest way is just to go right to our website is homeschooldirective.com and it will take you, there's even a UK link. So it says, I live in the UK. You can click on it and it'll take you right there and you can find out more. Or your audience, if they have any more questions, they can reach out to me at info at homeschooldirective.com. And then we can set up a Zoom call and we can get on a short conversation about your concerns and I can answer some more questions for your audience also. That is fabulous. Well, thank you so much. I think it's so empowering to know that there are these options out there that aren't quite so limiting and and restrictive for our children so it's been a real pleasure to talk to you okay. Michelle thank you so much for taking the time with us thank you so much for inviting me it is a real privilege thank you so much Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.